Hi, I'm Edubico, a passionate English learner. And this is Second Voice, a podcast where I interview people who have learned a second language and have pushed themselves to experience a new life adventure. In today's episode, our guest is Kayla Belouche. She was born and raised in New York in the United States. From a very early age, she developed a surprising passion for language learning and specifically for Spanish. She learned Spanish in high school and got a major in this language during her college studies. Later, she did a master's degree in a university in Spain. Nowadays, she runs an online business as an English coach. During the interview, Kayla shares meaningful ideas about crafting our identity and accent in a second language, and the importance of cultivating self-confidence and public speaking skills to become better communicators. Okay, hello listeners. We are here in a new episode of uh, Second Voice, and today I have a very special person here, She's Kayla, and she's an English coach. I'm happy to have you here, Kayla. How are you? How do you feel today? Good. I'm having a great day. Productive morning. I just got off of a couple client calls. And then the rest of the day, I'll probably just spend with, with family, hanging out, doing Christmassy things. It's the season for it. So yeah, really excited to be here with you. Great. So where are you right now? Where exactly in the world? Mm -hmm. Well, for the past three years, I've been based out of Spain, but now I just came back a couple of weeks ago to New York, where my family is from and where I am from. So I'll be in New York until February to spend the holiday with family and friends. Oh, great. How is, how is New York today? It's good. The It's season, cold. The weather. It's cold. And there's a lot of snow where I am, actually. Um, I live in upstate New York, so it's like four or five hours outside of the city. And here we always have more okay. snow. So the city's actually uh, quite a bit warmer normally than, uh, than upstate. So we already got lots of snow here. Okay. So you know that the podcast and the interviews is about people's stories and language journeys. So we are here to hear your, your story, specifically with Spanish, because you have a very, very interesting language learning journey in Spanish. But I want to go back to your, the beginning of your story with languages. So I would like to know, well, you, you just told me that you grew up in New York, yes? Yep. Okay. So how was your first uh, contact with languages during your childhood? Did you, in the school, did you have some language classes? I, I guess that it was about Spanish or another language? Yeah, great question. It's very interesting to think back to where it all started and how much it's all changed yeah. now so many years later. But I was always really obsessed with uh, wanting to learn another language and what that would be like. But I didn't actually have the opportunity to do that until I was 16, was, is when I had the first chance to take a Spanish course. So I decided to do that. I was a sophomore in high school. So it was my second year of high school. And I was super excited. And I remember going into that class and It just like blew my mind understanding how a different language is structured because I had totally had a different concept of what language was until that point because yeah. I had grown up in a very monolinguistic environment and I didn't know anyone that spoke any other languages. Like that was just totally outside of my sphere of comfort. So 
Yeah. I started learning a language and realized that learning a language was not just learning literal translations of every word and then putting those translations in the exact same order. I was yeah. like, wait, it's not like that, which feels ridiculous to have thought now, but that's just what I thought. That was just my experience with it. Yeah. So that was my first contact. And then I, uh, throughout high school, I kept taking Spanish courses, but they were not very good. They were um, pretty unexciting for me based on what I wanted to mm. do. I felt like my my teachers or my professors were not able to even, you know, show off their language the way I wanted to see someone use their language. I wanted them to be yeah. an example of what I could do. So after I graduated uh, high school, I basically had no conversational Spanish. Like I, I learned it for oh. three years and I couldn't speak a word of it. And I decided oh, yeah. to keep studying it in college. So that's yeah. when it really started uh, to change. I want to stop for a little bit there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. There are many things to comment. Uh, but something that <clears throat> grabbed my attention is that you mentioned the word, I'm obsessed. You said, mm. I was obsessed with language learning. So it was when you were a kid that you got that obsession. So you, you were conscious about language learning at what age in, during your childhood? When I was really young, I remember even watching like TV shows where they throw out random words in another language, like Dora, the Explorer. I was like yes, obsessed yes. with it. I was like, oh, that's so cool. And I would hear random words and want to use them. But I just had no opportunity to actually put that into practice until I was older. But I was obsessed with it, the idea. And I always talked about wanting to travel or move abroad. I remember a phase in like eighth grade when I tried to convince my parents to like move to Italy so I could learn another language, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> which did not work. Wow. It, it did not work. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I was always That's obsessed amazing. with the idea. It seems that you, you had a kind of a very clear path to become what you are now since then, but you were not so conscious and you just felt that. Yeah, I guess it sort of found me. Maybe I was like Spanish in a past life and <laughs> it just found me again. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. You also mentioned that during your school, the teachers maybe were not so good or great at teaching you languages. It was for what? What were the reasons for that? Mm -hmm. Do you think yeah. it was because of a lack of motivation from the teachers? I don't think it was a lack of motivation. This is something I've thought a lot about. And I have a lot of friends that studied Spanish with me in college that were studying education as well. So they wanted to be Spanish teachers and... I've talked to them about their own experience doing that as non-native speakers mm. of Spanish, teaching the language to children or to um, young teenagers now after having learned it as a second language. And the motivation is always there. I don't think you become an educator, especially in another language, because you're not motivated by mm. it. It's something that really excites them. But there's this level of like fear and shame and shyness that comes up when all of a sudden you're there in front of a class. And it's really, it's public speaking is what it is, whether it's to children yes. or to teenagers or to adults, it's public speaking, yes. running a classroom in a language that maybe no one ever taught you to public speak in, or no one ever taught you to feel mm. confident. Maybe someone didn't teach you to feel comfortable with everyday conversation and you only learned how to read and to write, but then you have to show a class how to speak. And I wanted to see a yes. teacher do that with a level of confidence that could show me, okay, I can get to that point too, even if I'm not a native speaker, because that was a really big barrier mentally for me. I thought that 
I was always going to have a very thick accent or I was always going to make terrible mistakes because I was a non-native speaker and I didn't start learning until I was 16. Whereas many other people start learning from a much younger age, even if it's the basics in school, they understand how verb structures work or different vocabulary. And I didn't have any of that until later. So I don't think it's a lack of motivation. I think it's just no one teaches people how to feel confident in their second language. They think just through reading and writing, okay, you have the tools, go teach it. But until you have the confidence and excitement when you were speaking, then you can't show other people what that could look like for them either. Yeah, this is very interesting. So you, you, your teachers in the school were, were teaching you in their second language. They had the second language and teach that second language to students. So my first Spanish teacher I ever had, uh, that was in a different school. I switched high schools um, halfway through uh, high school. So my first Spanish teacher was really, really great. And she, she was from Colombia originally, but it wasn't okay. the fact that she was a native speaker that made her a great teacher. It was the fact that she was really excited to talk about language and culture and communication from a holistic perspective, not like, okay, this is this word, this is this verb, this is this structure. It was about the communication. And we were always doing things that, you know, took us out of our comfort zone regarding, you know, like songs or conversations with just the little bit we had. And that was really fun for me. So then I was very disappointed when I switched uh, high schools and my next teacher was she was a non-native speaker, but that's not why I felt uncomfortable with her teaching style. It's that I think she lacked so much confidence in her own speech that I didn't feel that she had the authority to teach me what I wanted to do because I had very high standards for myself of where I wanted to go with my language one day. And she was not an example of that for me. So I tried really hard and I remember I would ask her so many questions and her answer would always just be like, I don't know, or I don't remember that stuff anymore. It's been a long time since I've lived in a Spanish-speaking country. And she would say these things that made me feel like if I didn't live in a Spanish-speaking country or I didn't use it 100% of the time, that I wouldn't be able to get to the level that I wanted, which was not true, but it's how I felt from that experience. Yeah, this is important because you've mentioned two very important words in language learning, which is confidence and communication so Hmm. it's it's beyond just learning like grammar or rules it's also like a behavior like a personal developed journey yeah well we'll go to that point later a hundred percent yeah (laughs) well now that you you told us your story during high school after high school what happened you 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 went to the university or you did something else So I I went to college and I decided that what I wanted to do was study Spanish. And I remember that when I said I was going to declare Spanish as a major, I remember my dad telling me, but you don't speak Spanish. And I was like, well, that's the point. (laughs) Like I wouldn't study if if I already knew it. So um, I was really excited to do that. But at the same time, I was really terrified because I had zero conversational level. And I knew that once I got Mm-hmm. to the university level, my classes were going to be 100% in Spanish. And I wasn't going to understand yeah. them. And I was really, really afraid for that. Because the last experience I'd had in high school with Spanish was like a final test that we had. It was a speaking test, I remember. Yes. And it was like 12 lines. It was my teacher would say six lines of things to me, and I would have to give six responses. And it was literally like lines like, hello, how are you? How old are you? Yeah. Where do you live? Like super basic things. And I felt like I was on the verge of tears going into that experience because I was so afraid. 
for it. So yeah. thinking about that and then going into college and being like, all right, you got to do it all in Spanish now. I was terrified. Yeah. But I found really, really incredible opportunities with such motivating professors who were there to push us yeah. to just 100% immerse ourselves in an atmosphere in upstate New York where it's like all very white um, monolinguistic population. Yeah. So I get it. It was really great to have professors that pushed me um, that much. And that wasn't the only thing that helped me, but my professors were, were really, really great in uh, college. Oh, great. And uh, during your college years, the classmates and the teachers that you had, they were people who were learning Spanish as their second language. They have a language background. How was that environment for you? It was actually really interesting. And I loved this blend because in about all of my classes, we were about 50% people coming from like a monolinguistic background where we just started learning in college or as later on as like adults more so. And then yes. the other 50% were people who had grown up in Spanish speaking households, but they had only spoken uh -huh. Spanish at home. They had never used it in professional environments and they had no idea for like reading and writing like They had yes. never had to do that. So things like literature, writing an essay was really difficult for them. And they wanted to be oh, able yes. to use Spanish professionally one day and be able to write things and emails and stuff. So it was their own sort of journey of feeling more confident and comfortable in an academic sense with their language. Because until that point, yes. they'd only used it um, very colloquially at home with friends and family. So this mix of people who were like terrified to even say a word because we had just started learning a few years ago. And people yes. who were terrified in different senses, and they were afraid of public speaking yeah. too, but it was still their native language. You know, we had this really great blend of people who um, supported each other really well. Like they were super supportive of us because they were going through a hard time doing it in their native language. And they realized they're like, yes. you know, these people are here doing it in their non-native language and they're still like working really hard. So yeah, they were really, really kind to us through that experience. They helped a lot. That's interesting. It's, it's a very like mixed environment where you learned uh, Spanish with different experiences. There in the in the college, how was the methodology? For example, the practice hours for Spanish. You you did events like public speaking or something like that. So this is the thing that I would have changed about my college experience for sure. I personally looked for and took advantage of a lot of opportunities that other people didn't, which I think is why I feel the way I do now in language. But in general, in college, it was very, you didn't have to speak if you didn't want to, except for maybe a presentation yeah. where people would print out something and just read off the page there. Yes. If you didn't want to speak, you didn't have to, there was no one forcing you to, there was no one teaching you how to, you know, feel confident when you spoke. The closest thing I got to with that was a phonetics course that I took, which really was like, the big opening into everything I do now professionally. I didn't know that at the time that that was going to, that moment was going to define yes. everything that I did later on. But phonetics uh, was a really big thing for me in understanding that I could take control of the way my voice sounded in my non-native language and I could make it sound like something I love and be in love with the sound of my own voice, even though I was speaking a non-native yeah. language. And that was really impactful for me. And that led me to create my whole methodology that I have now with my language programs today. So the one thing that I wish that they would have taught us in school or in college was how to show up with confidence in your non-native language, how to be there in a public speaking atmosphere 
whether that's with one person, like, hey, I'm speaking to you right now, or whether it's running a, a meeting of five people or speaking to a group of students of 20 people, if you're a teacher, or going to a job interview and being able to do that and say, yes, I can speak this language professionally without feeling like I'm going to, you know, pass out from being so afraid of this experience. So that's one thing I really feel like was missing and is something that I would really like to offer in the future to college students who are missing that something that, that they need to keep moving forward professionally. Yeah, the phrase you mentioned is inspiring, like being in love with the way you sound in a second Mm. language. That's one of the reasons why this podcast is called Second Voice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. All your ideas are, yeah, very, like, interesting to talk about. So that was the the college experience. You got a degree, a major in Spanish, yes? I did a a dual major. So with Spanish, I also did international development studies. That was my combination for my degree. International development. And, and it was about what exactly? Yeah, so it's similar to international studies, but it's something that's very multidisciplinary. So it combines a lot of things with like politics, economics, law, uh, intercultural communication. It's like a little bit of everything all mixed uh. together. And most people who study that, they want to work with international organizations or uh, nonprofits, NGOs around the uh. world that are working for like social justice sort of things or in politics. So yeah, it's a lot of different people take different routes after doing that. When I went on to study my master's, I actually studied international cooperation again because I thought I was going to do something totally different. But so that's what people tend to use it for is like uh, going into nonprofit work oftentimes. I think it's called also international relations or something like that, because I was checking about this career the other day and the description that you gave is similar to that. International relations can have a similar path, but there's often a much bigger political and economic emphasis on international mm, relations yes. where international so. studies had a lot of mix with like anthropology um, cultural cultural mm. uh, topics, communication. So it was a bit more holistic than I like law it. focused. I get it. Oh, it's a great option for language learners, lovers. Yeah. Oh yeah, like everyone that was yes. studying it was studying another language too, because they were just really interested yeah. in it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, now that you had that, you got that degree. You are very into Spanish, and you were very focused on that. So, what was the mo- the next move? What did you decide to do with your life? So when I was graduating, I knew that I just wanted to be able to use Spanish professionally in my everyday life, that I wanted it to be something that was a part of me on a really fundamental level um, as a part of my identity. So I wanted to keep exploring more my own capacities in the language as well as keep growing professionally. So I went to do my master's degree at the University of Salamanca in Spain, and I did that in international cooperation for development, which was basically the same thing as the international development major that I had done in in college. It was just, you know, the next level at a master's level. So that's where I really felt new challenges and barriers come up for me. Um, that I wasn't really expecting because they hadn't come up for me in college. And I was just at another level where things felt more and more uncomfortable. And I had to really sit down and analyze, you know, who I wanted to be and how I wanted to sound and how I wanted to feel in my non-native language to really own my voice the way that I'd always dreamed of of doing. And when you arrived at Spain for the first time, how exactly did you feel about your Spanish? You felt confident or not? Hmm. Well, when I went for my master's, I showed up really confident and then 
within the next couple of weeks, I sort of lost that confidence for various reasons. But the first time I ever went to Spain was actually in college. I was sort of um, during the summers Ah, of doing my bachelor's degree. I was coming to Spain. I was going to Spain to work as an au pair. So I was living with a family, with a host family, and I would take care of their kids and teach them English during the day. And they would teach me Spanish and we would all speak Spanish throughout the day. Ah, Okay. And that was a really great experience. But I remember the first day I was there or the first month I was there for that with them. I had been studying Spanish for maybe like four years at that point. And I was like, all right, I got this. Like I did a year of college Spanish. Like I I, I understand lots. And I got there and I knew like 20% of what was going on and I couldn't say anything. And I was so frustrated. And then phonetics was actually the course that made everything much easier for me to understand. And it made me much more confident in the way I spoke because all of a sudden everyone's different accents made sense. I could understand someone from Peru, from Northern Spain, from the Dominican Republic. That was like a really big thing for me. And I know a lot of people I work with in in English coaching as well, they feel very uncomfortable with the different accents because they're just so varied. And I went through the same thing in Spanish. Oh, yeah. So so you had this previous experience as an au pair in Spain. Yeah. And and you going for the master was your second time in in Spain, yes? Yeah, well, I had spent like maybe two... Two summers I had spent there and then I'd gone, you know, to visit that au pair family another time. So maybe I'd already been to Spain three or four times in a total. Maybe that was uh, maybe like four or five months I had spent in Spain, just in different shorter time frames and and before I did my master's. Okay. And you you started your your master there in Spain. And how was your life at the first month? Uh, Who do you live? Who did you live with? How was that experience? Yeah, I was in a uh, pretty international household. I was in an apartment with three other girls and everyone was always from different countries. So like the first semester, um, there was someone from Spain who ended up being like my best friend that I have back in Spain now. Someone from England, someone from Germany. We later had someone from Italy, then someone from Belgium. So there was uh, people went in and out. And then I was the one that stayed there the whole year because I was for a year long program rather than just a semester. and. Yeah, we we always spoke Spanish in the household because that was just our norm, because not everyone knew English, not everyone felt Uh comfortable in other languages, but we were all there to communicate in Spanish. So that was a really great opportunity to make friendships and start looking at my language as something that was just a, a pure tool for communication and not something to obsess yeah. over mistakes or grammar, or whatever. It was just to get my point across, to just say the message. And when I think about that, everything flows. But as soon as you start to think, okay, what's the best word to use? Or technically, should I use that grammar structure? Like, then, uh, you know, you're so caught up in your own head that nothing sounds clear anymore yes. and you sound nervous. And so changing that focus to just pure communication was way more exciting for me and helped me sort of let go of all of those perfectionistic tendencies <laughs> that I still struggle with sometimes. <laughs> That's great because you, you said you, you felt that it, it was a tool for communicating. And, and I feel it like, oh, well, you discovered that it's a tool for human connection. And it's, mm. this is about languages, human connection. That's great. And now that you are in college and no, in, in your master's in Spain, what happened there? How, how were the, the classes, the methodology? How was the Spanish specific courses? How did you mm-hmm. feel that experience? Yeah, so the course or, or, or the year-long master's program was all 
100% in Spanish. So most of the other people that were in the course were also native Spanish speakers. A lot of them were from Latin America. Uh -huh. So I met people from all over with lots of different accents, which was really fun for me because I yeah. loved that aspect. But we were just there learning the topic. It was just all in Spanish. So uh, we were you know, mm. taking courses on politics, international law, economics, which was not fun. It's like my least favorite. <laughs> it was the first course we yeah. had was economics. And I remember going into that first day and we just had four hours of sitting down, listening to straight, really high wow. level advanced economics. And I was always terrible at economics wow. and it was all in Spanish. And I was like, I remember after wow. that first day, I went in so confident. And by the end of that day, I couldn't even speak a word because my brain was just so tired of trying to understand yeah. everything. And every professor had their own accent from different places in Spain. Yes. And so it required a lot of concentration. And so after that first week, that first day of class, I was like, ooh, this might be a little bit tougher than I was anticipating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how ended that story of the master? You 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 finished your master. And I I think that uh, at that time you were thinking about, oh, what I'm going to do professionally after this chapter. Mm -hmm. So what came after this? So I finished the master's degree and uh, a really big part of that master's degree was a about six month internship I did with a nonprofit that was working with a lot of immigrant communities in Spain, uh, especially people from like Morocco. That was uh, their biggest sort of population that they were supporting. And I was in there, you yeah. know, helping support in different programs that they had for children and women. And I was just really obsessed Again, I get obsessed with things. I was very obsessed and passionate about the idea of being able to help people that were immigrating uh, to Spain with that adaptation um, and assimilation process into a new culture. Because there's so many different yes. things that happen for us on a linguistic level, um, political yes. level, uh, cultural level. And I loved being in that environment. So I wanted to work with NGOs that were supporting immigrant or refugee communities in assimilating and adapting, immersing themselves into the Spanish culture seamlessly and feeling like that was a positive experience for them rather than one that causes, you know, a lot of anxiety and tension over being in a new place with a different language. So that's what I wanted to yeah. do. And we, my boyfriend and I, who had done the same master's degree, we went to Northern Spain looking for different opportunities in this sector. And we ended up not being able to find work in that. The Spanish job mm. market is just not the best at the moment. So mm, we weren't yes. able to find work and we were really disappointed by it. And I took a sort of unexpected or unwanted job at the time working as an English teacher at a, at a private academy. And it was like the typical thing that all the, you know, yeah. foreigners that knew English would do in Spain. It was a great way for me to have a job at that point. But I was really yes. upset at, when I took that job because I thought that that meant that I wasn't going to have that greater impact on society and on the world like I wanted oh, to. Yeah. So it was really hard for me to accept at first that, that year in the academy. Oh, yeah. This last part is important because, yeah, it gives me the idea of your your mindset. Yeah, and it makes me makes me think about something that I want to ask you because I know that you are an, an English coach now. And, well, the, the question is that you decided at some point that you didn't want to be exactly an English teacher, which was the natural path, no? Mm -hmm. And how was the path uh, to, to become an English coach and not a an English teacher, mm -hmm. how did you feel that difference at that time? So this is a great question. When I was at the academy, there were a lot of things that I did really enjoy about it that I wasn't expecting, but they were all the things that we were never, quote unquote, allowed 
to talk about or go into because everything is so test and exam based that it's like, okay, you got to, you know, do these practice tests. You got to get through this grammar. You got to get through this vocab. And other people, especially the adults I was working with, had a lot of different questions. They were like asking about feeling confident. They were asking about pronunciation. They were asking about fluency. And no one even touches those topics in a private academy in Spain. It's like not even discussed. It's like it didn't even exist. But that's what's most impacting our communication. So I was very frustrated by that experience of me trying to put that into the classes as much as I could when, you know, no one was facilitating that for me. And I was like, why is this not just a normal part of the process? And I was constantly like applying to other jobs in in different NGOs or international um, organizations throughout that year in the academy. And it got to a point where I was like, you know, I want to do good on a really big level. Like I want to have a greater impact. I want to just, I want to be able to provide all of the passion and just kindness that I have to put out there into the world to genuinely help people. And no one is letting me do it. And I would do it so well. So I decided that I was just going to do it for myself because I was sick of waiting for someone to give me an opportunity when I could do, I knew I could do it myself better. So the pandemic hit in March of, of 2021 This when it hit Spain and my hours at the academy were reduced by half. And so, you know, we were freaking out. We're like, what are we going to do? You know, financially, um, professionally, we're not going to get a job now somewhere else. No one's getting work. So I decided that I wanted to start my own online business and I got mentors to help me figure it out. And I sort of just started trying things. I was like, is language coaching a thing? Cause I want to do it. I'm obsessed with it. And so I started working on temp, um, topics regarding accent pronunciation. Cause that was sort of the basis of what helped me in Spanish at first. Yeah. And then it started evolving. Okay. Confidence, fluency, and then, okay. Business professional English, like, okay, we're, we're getting to like another level of confidence and authority and authenticity and sincerity when we speak. How do we do that? So it evolved over the past year and a half to turn into what it is today, um, which is a very holistic yeah. perspective of what language is versus how we're taught to express ourselves. Yeah, that's the word, holistic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I feel that those same questions that you had when you had this, this, but but teacher at the school were the same questions you were asking yourself during your academy job, yeah? So mm-hmm. it's a long path of trying to answer the same questions about language learning. And it's very interesting. And now, well, you finally decided that you want to have your, your business at the mm-hmm. time, no? Through, through the pandemic. And no, now you can tell us how is, how is your business exactly? And and what defines your job as an English coach? What you offer to the to the world, to the people, to your clients? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So language coaching is not about you know teaching you just some new grammar, new vocab, or speak better. You know, in general, it's about a yes. holistic coming back to that word, a holistic transformation of who you are as a communicator, so that you can close the gap between how you feel you are representing yourself right now and how you want to express yourself long-term. So stepping into that next level version of yourself as a, as a communicator to open up with the best authenticity and sincerity and authority that you can to just feel comfortable and like yourself when you speak, which is something that is much easier said than done. So for me, this looks like in my programs, I specifically uh, work with entrepreneurs and specifically online coaches is um, a really majority of the people I work with are online coaches who are wanting to feel more comfortable working in their non-native language 
they have their own businesses in English or they do coaching in English, but they're not native speakers. So they have a lot of discomfort regarding the way they sound, the way they feel when they speak. They lack confidence. Maybe they're terrified to speak to native speakers. They feel they can't resonate with people when they speak in a conversation, but they want to captivate an audience. They want to be able to one day stand on a stage and, you know, give a yes. TED talk or, you know, have their own yes. podcast like you're doing now, where they have these really great <laughs> Yeah. ideas of where they yeah. want to be and they don't know how to materialize that for themselves because they've always just heard that to get better as a communicator learn another word learn better grammar say this differently but it's about constructing who you want to be and knowing long term how to coach yourself into being the best communicator you can be so after my clients finish the three-month program with me they're able to know specifically for themselves, what they want to work on, what that vision looks like, and how long term they can keep coaching themselves step by step through the things that they started with, with me. And then once you can coach yourself, you can do whatever you want. Like you can get to, you can mm. reach whatever level of communication you want once you have all the tools and you know exactly yeah. how to implement them in your day-to-day -day communication. So coaching is all about making sure that at the end of that process, you don't need anyone else to help you with it that you're fully equipped with the tools to just do it yourself and not have to ask anyone for their opinion or their advice or support. Yeah, it's a lot of work on their mindset, yes? Mm, not necessarily so on the language skills. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And I have a question related to this about accent. So how important do you feel this accent into the language learning process? Because many times as language learners, we are worried and concerned about our accents into our second language. Mm -hmm. So how do you see that? It is 100% relevant and it is not given enough priority when we are learning another language, especially as adults, because this is something that adult language learners experience that maybe children you know, never go through if they grew up bilingual, for example. Yes. So for adults, we want to be able to jump into something, especially when we're like working as professionals, entrepreneurs, we have our own business and we want other people to see the vision of what we're doing the way that we do. And we want to be able to communicate that with eloquency and um, with ease. Yes. So when it feels like there's a barrier and we can't do that the way we want to, or we're afraid that we might pronounce something wrong, or we're afraid we might not be clear, this holds us back from using the actual words that are going to help us get our own clients or our own you know, businesses where we want them to go long term. So accent is identity, whether it's in our native language or our non-native language, it's defining part of who we are. And for me, when I was learning Spanish, I decided that I wanted to take control of that identity and create that for myself rather than see myself as a victim of, okay, I'm American and I just need to speak with a thick American accent my whole life or know that people, as soon as they hear me, they're like, ah, you're American, aren't you? You know, I didn't want that because that wasn't the identity I wanted to resonate with. So yes. it's very important for me to help people construct help them construct for themselves the identity they want to have. And for many people, oh. that might look like, I love my accent, but I need to understand what is so different between English and Spanish phonetics, for example, that is holding me back in my clarity and that could be the sounds that feel most uncomfortable for me. Because I know there's words that I don't like. I know there's things I avoid. I know there's things I say wrong, but I don't know how to find the pattern. I don't know why that is. So we help retrain their muscle memory so that they can say things that they used to hate, say it effortlessly and use that to their advantage. And just having the understanding or the background of the phonetic base between one language and another 
helps you to know exactly where your most common pitfalls may lie and how you can overcome them to use whatever words you want and express yourself as eloquently as you would like to. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Yeah, it's very clear what you say. I accent is identity and I I see that you say like we we can craft our own identity in a second language. Yes. Our second uh, voice. We can uh -huh. Yeah, our second voice. <laughs> we can build yeah, another type of person in a second mm -hmm. language, but we can we could do it we can do it consciously, like taking decisions and being aware of that. So that's beautiful about about language learning. Yeah. And well, now I know that you are a, a Spanish speaker mm -hmm. <laughs> and and how, how do you feel now about your Spanish right now in this chapter of your life? Yeah, I feel like I finally was able to step into my voice of expressing myself the way I wanted to and be the person that I wanted to be and do that with confidence, crafting my own identity. And I know that that's something that will change over time in Spanish the same way it changes in English. In English, I'm not the same communicator I was a year ago as I am today. There's a lot of things that have changed because I've consciously made the choice to start following, you know, okay, this sort of path, or I like this better, this resonates more with my message. So I'm doing the same in Spanish always and um, just trying to pay attention to all those subtle things that to me matter that maybe other people wouldn't care about. But for me, I think they're fun. So <laughs> yeah, that's great. So now it's time to go to Spanish. <laughs> Yeah, we can switch languages and now we can start speaking Spanish. And well, now I have to call you Kayla and not Kayla. Bueno, no tienes que hacerlo, pero lo puedes hacer si quieres. Sí, está bien. Bueno, Kayla, esta conversación en inglés ha sido muy, muy interesante. Y o sea, ahora me gustaría en, en español que nos puedas contar en una reflexión cuáles son las recomendaciones que tú darías para gente que está aprendiendo un segundo idioma y tiene estas mismas preocupaciones que tú has visto en tus clientes o en la gente con que has trabajado, ¿no? ¿Cuáles, uh -huh. ¿cuáles son quizás las, las acciones o estrategias que te han servido más a ti para desarrollarte en el español como te has desarrollado? ¡Ay, qué buena pregunta! Eh, yo creo que el primer paso es no, no frenarte a la hora de pensar en esa visión más grande de quién quieres ser cuando estás hablando en otro idioma. Porque con mucha frecuencia jugamos con a lo pequeño. We, we play small. Eh, sí. Y siempre pensamos sí. que es, somos incapaces de llegar hasta un cierto nivel porque no hemos visto a nadie más que, que lo haya hecho. O, o pensamos que no, sé, que no tenemos el derecho de llegar hasta ese nivel. Pero tú puedes llegar hasta el nivel que tú quieras. Tú puedes ser el comunicador que tú siempre has soñado con ser. Así que la primera parte, yo creo, es, es crear esa visión para ti. Y esa visión irá cambiando. Eh, va a desarrollar durante los años, igual que, que pasa en nuestros idiomas nativos. Tú no hablas español igual que cuando, eras, cuando tenías 10 años, ¿sabes? <risa> que no, ah, sí. porque desarrollamos, sí, sí. nos desarrollamos como comunicadores. Sí, claro. Así que tener esa visión en cuenta y luego identificar cuáles son los obstáculos que te están frenando ahora, eh, que no te dejan llegar hasta ese siguiente nivel. Por ejemplo, si eso es la, si ese es, es el acento, porque no te sientes cómodo en el acento, pues es una cosa que identificar. Si es el vocabulario, si no, si no sabes que puedes con confianza eh, hablar sobre varios temas, pues a escribir eso como una barrera que tienes y poder identificarlo, porque hasta que encuentres esos obstáculos va a ser imposible superarlos. Tenemos que percibir de otra manera las barreras lingüísticas que nos enfrentamos, porque si, no, si yo no tengo esa barrera, si no sé cuáles son las barreras, 
nunca voy a poder mejorar porque no he identificado lo que me está frenando. Y con mucha frecuencia nos agobiamos eh, a la hora de llegar a un... No sé, cuando nos chocamos con algo que no, no nos parece tan bien. Queremos hablar con más fluidez, con más natura, eh, naturaleza y eso no, no es realista. O sea que siempre vamos a tener barreras y hay que dar la bienvenida a, a ellas para que puedan empujarnos hasta el siguiente nivel. Sí, me, me encanta tu idea y, y la has dicho cuando, has estado conversando, cuando hemos estado conversando en inglés y ahora en español. Esto de que, claro, uno no es el mismo siempre y nuestra uh -huh. forma de comunicar evoluciona. No solo en nuestra lengua nativa, sino también en, nuestra segun, en nuestro segundo idioma. Uh -huh. eh, sí, es una idea como bastante remarcable. Ah, déjame decirte que... <ríe> Que tú, tú es español, es bastante español y muy, muy claro. Es la primera vez que, te, que creo que hablamos en español. Ya, ¿no? De porque verdad. la primera conversación, conversación que tuvimos, pues todo eso fue, fue en inglés. <risa> que, en inglés. Ya, creo claro, que es, claro. es la primera vez que, que estamos hablando en español, sí. sí. Y estoy bastante sorprendido e impresionado con tu español. Ah, de sí. Verdad. ¿Cómo eh, pensabas me encanta, que iba a ser? Es que me parece que... Me parece que es verdad que, que es como, te imagino, como otra persona. ¿A que como sí? una segunda Keila. Sí. Ahora soy Kaila. Es Hola. Kaila, es verdad. De Keila, Kaila, pero literalmente. Ajá. De verdad. Es otra voz, ya, es, es, otra, es otra identidad, sí. un poco, sí. Es verdad, es increíble, es increíble. Es como el ejemplo vivo de eso que estabas diciendo. Mm. De verdad. Y bueno, ahora, un poco para aprovechar el español en esta uh -huh. última parte de la entrevista. Eh, sé que eres, te has convertido en nómada digital, Ajá. ¿es esto? ¿Sí? ¿Sí? sí. ¿Y cómo, cómo te sientes en este estado de nómada digital? O sea, uh -huh. ¿te sientes satisfecha? Sí, sí, pues 100%, porque a largo plazo mi pareja y yo, como somos de países distintos, sabíamos que eh, queríamos tener una vida donde sería posible vivir en cualquier lado del mundo y poder ir de un momento a otro a estar con una familia o la otra, o con unos amigos o con los otros amigos, eso fue muy importante para nosotros porque los dos tenemos un valor eh, muy fundamental en, en poder tener esas relaciones muy cercanas con la familia. Así que no queríamos estar atrapados en esa vida donde tú tienes un trabajo ahí en España, solo tienes dos semanas de vacaciones o cuatro semanas de vacaciones y tú búscate la vida a ver cómo lo vas a hacer con los do las dos familias y las fiestas y... Eso no, no queríamos vivir esa existencia. Así que ahora que hemos podido, por fin, porque el COVID fue una barrera bastante sí. intensa para nosotros, sí. eh, por fin podemos en un momento a otro ir a un país. Ahora estamos en Estados Unidos durante tres meses y luego volveremos a España hasta que queramos volver. Y tenemos esa libertad porque llevamos los negocios con nosotros. Y eso nos da bastante tranquilidad eh, a la hora de pensar en largo en, a largo plazo, pues nuestra idea de cómo vamos a construir una familia y, y vivir la vida. Tenemos una libertad total. Como dirían mis amigos españoles, ¡qué guay y qué chulo! Qué, qué guay, sí, qué guay, está, está muy guay. De verdad, acá diríamos qué chévere. O bueno, yo diría qué bacán. Ah, ese es nuevo para mí, no lo he oído. Qué bacán. Sí, ah. acá, bueno, yo, sí, acá dicen, bueno, algunos decimos qué chévere, que es como qué chulo, qué guay, ¿no? Ajá. Sí. Aquí en Perú y en Colombia también, en Ecuador, creo. Bueno, Keila, o Kaila, ah, podemos ahora... <ríe> ahora... Ahora me voy a quedar con la duda si llamarte Keila o Kaila. Como tú quieras, <ríe> o sea, que, que respondo, respondo a las dos opciones. <ríe> claro, ah, ahora podemos volver al inglés para cerrar la entrevista. Now we can go back to English. I, I want to say thank you, 
Kayla, uh, this this interview is is awesome. It's it's incredible, and I think it, it it'll be very helpful for for the listeners of Second Voice. So mm -hmm. thank you for being here and for this conversation, Kayla. Thank you so much. I remember when we first connected a few months back, and you told me about this idea. It just sounded so impactful uh, to me, you know, to to help people understanding better their second voice and stepping into that, what that means to them, and uh, you just having so many examples of people that are going to be here to to help other people show, you know, okay, what that second voice could look like for them, or third, or fourth, or whatever number voice that is for you. Yeah. Um, I'm so glad that you took the the step, the the leap forward to to do this, to, to serve other people in their own goals. So thank you for inviting me. I'm super excited that, you know, yeah. you're doing this, like, and where this is going <laughs> to be in a year, uh, I can't wait to hear. Yeah. And I have to say that you are one of the reasons for that podcast because you encouraged me to do this. <laughs> you gave me one of the ideas for the podcast. So thank you again for that, really. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Your your work is amazing and it's awesome. In, in, It's having a great impact on people. It's what you what you dreamed before in your previous years. So thank you yeah. again, Kyla, for this conversation and for all what is coming. Yeah. <laughs> for both. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, Edu. Okay. See you soon, Kayla. <laughs> See you Bye. soon. Bye.